and welcome to Moki's Birth School Online. Our free classes cover all aspects of pregnancy, birth and beyond, with experts who can answer all of your questions. Classes will take place twice a week, but you will also be able to discuss any subject on Moki's Helping Mums Facebook group. You will also be able to listen back to each session on this podcast. Do get in touch if you have any comments or questions. Please email us, helpingmums at moki.eu. In this session, Sophie Martin, a trained midwife known as the infertile midwife, answers your questions. Lovely to chat to you all today. Um, as Susie said, just put all the questions in the chat box and I will try to get through as many as I can. And um, so the first one is, is you're going to be induced at either 38 or 39 weeks because of slow growth. You're 37 weeks pregnant today. What do you recommend to eventually start labour naturally? And also any advice on managing the induction process? And um, so there's lots and lots of things that you can do to try and help yourself between now and your induction. One of the best things that I recommend is nipple stimulation and colostrum harvesting because that is a double whammy of brilliant. Um, and the reason for that is because nipple stimulation and colostrum harvesting are really good at helping your body get ready to go into labour. And then also you're collecting all this amazing milk, which is going to be so useful for when the baby's here. So that would be my number one thing to do. Um, and just in terms of how you do that, um, you'll need to get some little syringes. Your midwife might be able to give you some, or you just need to order, you can order them online. And they're called enteral syringes, which means that they're for feeding um, and they're usually purple. And I would get small ones, so either one one milliliter or two milliliters so we're talking like really tiny amounts um, and then to hand express you put your hand in a c-shape two to three centimeters back from the nipple and you gently squeeze down and I tend to recommend doing this off you've had a hot shower or a bath um, or you've gently massaged your breast um, and then hopefully you'll be able to get some colostrum so that's a really 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 great way of helping yourself get into labour so I would start doing that as soon as you can and actually it doesn't even matter if you're not able to get any colostrum out it's all about the stimulation and um, so it's telling your body that you need to have a baby which is great and um, so hopefully try and get this labour going but then also it's going to tell your body that you need to be making milk too so that's super 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 important so that's one thing that I would do and um, other things that you can do to help get yourself to go into labour is you need to have high oxytocin levels. So oxytocin is the hormone of love and it's also the hormone of contractions. So if you want to have contractions, we need that oxytocin to be really high. Now, cortisol is the stress hormone and cortisol and oxytocin don't like each other. So they won't um, both be high at the same time. So if your cortisol level is high, your oxytocin will be low when really we want it the other way around. So we want that cortisol level, so that nice stress level down here so that that the oxytocin can be high so think of it as quite a shy hormone oxytocin we don't want any stress hormones at the same time so things that you can do to help your oxytocin be high is obviously try and be calm and relaxed and then things that really give you that big rush of love so I don't know if you're married look at your wedding photos and um, if you're not married don't worry look at a nice holiday photos that really make you feel good inside or get out 
the baby's clothes, sit in the nursery, all of those things that give you a really big rush of love. Um, or if you've got a child at home, look at their baby photos, put your favourite rom-com on. There's so many things that you can do um, to get that oxytocin high. Also, um, an orgasm. That is a huge release of oxytocin. Um, so all of those things are really going to help you try and kickstart labour before your induction. So they would be kind of my top tips. Other sort of induction methods, the myths that you hear aren't necessarily evidence-based. So things like the pineapple, that's not really got any evidence behind it. Um, things like the spicy curries, what they do is upsetting your bowel. So they're giving you an upset stomach. And because your cervix is quite close to your bowel, um, it irritates it. Now, it is gonna irritate your cervix, so you potentially get labor going. But personally, I think that's a really horrible way to start labor, just giving yourself an upset stomach. So I don't, I don't recommend that one. Um, but anything that kind of, yeah, irritate your, your tummy will, will irritate your cervix, so potentially could send you into labour. Um, but yeah, my top two would be the oxytocin and then um, and the nipple stimulation and colostrum harvesting. And then in terms of managing the induction, um, induction comes in varying forms, so check with your hospital what process that you're having. Um, I think probably with a slow growth, they probably won't want you to go home for your induction they'd probably like to keep you in and um, but for anyone else listening always ask if there's an option for you to go home for part of the induction just because we know that obviously cortisol that stress hormone will be much higher whilst you're in hospital and the chance of you going into labor um at home obviously would be a lot higher so if there's an option to have part of your induction at home definitely ask your midwife about that and then also with the induction, I would just remember that induction can take quite a long time. So just make sure that you've got lots of things to keep yourself amused. So whether it's a book, um, magazine, your iPad, you know, download all your Netflix programs to watch on there because induction can take quite a long time. Um, and then also just try and treat the induction like early labour. So at the beginning of the induction, obviously, we're just trying to treat that as the early labour. So all the things that you would do at home try and do whilst you're having that early part of the induction so whether that's taking a bath walking and um, you know getting your hypnobirthing track on putting your tens machine on so just really try and make it as similar to laboring at home as possible that would be my top tip for managing managing an induction just make sure that you've got lots of things to entertain you because it can be long the next question from Maureen is, you were induced with your first son at 40 weeks because you had high blood pressure and you were overdue um, and you had an unmedicated vaginal birth and now you're 36 old and you've got normal blood pressure and you're 38 weeks but your induction is booked for 41 plus 5 if no signs of labour. What can you do to induce labour or will you be induced again? You're scared because you've heard induction increases the risk of cesarean and assisted delivery. Um, so with your obviously last baby we were inducing you because you had high blood pressure Whereas in this pregnancy, you haven't had high blood pressure so far, so there's no reason to induce you early. Now, the induction at 41 plus 5 is what we call like a post-dates induction. So for being overdue, we wouldn't really want the pregnancy to go much further because we want the baby to be born before 42 weeks. Now, obviously, if you had high blood pressure between now and then, they would probably induce you sooner. Um, but because you induce, we don't know naturally when you would have gone into labour 
last time. So actually, there's still a massive possibility that your labour will start by itself before 41 plus 5 days. We know that babies can come any time from 37 weeks all the way until 42 weeks. Um, so there's no reason to suggest that just because you had an induction last time, you'll need one this time. Um, you didn't go overdue last time because we you obviously were induced because of the blood pressure, but we don't have the blood pressure issue this time. And um, so I wouldn't assume that you'll need to be induced this time. But um, I think I touched on this before, but things that you can do to help yourself go into labour. So try and do the colostrum harvesting or the nipple stimulation um, and try and get that oxytocin nice and high as well. Um, and then in terms of induction, in any medical intervention in, in labour does increase your chance of having further intervention. So obviously having um, an induction does slightly increase your risk of having a caesarean or a, an instrumental delivery. However, you did have, as you've put there, a vaginal birth last time. And actually that is one of the biggest indicators that you would um, <clears throat> excuse me, be able to have an a similar experience this time so having had a vaginal birth last time puts you in a really really good position for that to happen again this time and um, so although you seems like you've got lots to think about actually I would approach this with a really positive mindset and just think well I've not got high blood pressure this time so fingers crossed that continues and um, hopefully my body will take over and send me into labour when it's ready but there are things that you can do to help it along also um ask a midwife about having a sweep if you're quite keen not to have an induction obviously you're already 38 weeks so we don't tend to do them before 40 weeks but I would definitely ask your midwife at your 40 week appointment and your 41 week appointment for a sweep if that's what you're um keen to do but yeah Maureen don't panic I think you've got a really really good chance of going into labour before you need the induction this time fingers crossed that your blood pressure stays nice and low Sandesh says that you were told in your last scan at 30 weeks the baby's a bit big and um, will it make a difficult vaginal birth and if you need a cesarean will it affect your bonding with your baby so um 30 weeks is actually still quite early so you've got lots and lots of time to see what's happening with your baby now obviously without seeing the scan it's really difficult for me to comment but um usually we say if the baby's over the 95th centile so if the estimated weight of your baby is bigger than the 95th percentile so what that means is um for your gestation out of 100 babies yours would be in the top 95 so yours would be the the top the biggest babies essentially so if your baby's less than the 95th centile then actually we don't tend to change any of the management and um, they'll probably just want to keep an eye on the growth and the best way to do that is by doing growth scans regularly usually monthly but sometimes more often if they need to so at 30 weeks you've got plenty of time to see obviously what's happening with this baby now and um, having a bigger baby is doesn't mean that you'll need to have a cesarean section at all um, and we'll cover the latest part of your question in a second um, for people that grow slightly bigger babies, we need to work out why that is. Now, if it's your first baby, it might just be that this is a great size baby for you. We don't have anything to compare it to, so we don't know if this is what size baby you should be growing. And um, if your baby, again, is really big, so bigger than the 95th centile, it could be that you've got diabetes. So your midwife, if it is a really large baby, should be checking you for diabetes as well. Um, but if your baby's less than 95th centile, that's considered really, really normal. And um, obviously, if we're looking at centiles, out of 100 babies, someone has to be the first, second and third. So the really, really teeny tiny babies. 
and someone has to be the biggest baby, so the 99th, the 98th, the 100th centile. So that's how centiles work. They're just plotting the kind of average growth. So someone, most babies are going to be in the middle, but obviously some babies have to be at either end. And um, so just check what it said on your scan, whether the baby was over the 95th centile, and hopefully they'll have booked you for a few more scans. And um, so in terms of evidence about big babies, it's not entirely clear. So I know most obstetricians would usually recommend induction for a big baby um, and that's because we're trying to reduce the risk of a shoulder dystocia and what that means is the baby's shoulders getting stuck at birth well actually um yes having a very big baby can increase the risk of having a shoulder dystocia but actually a really significant proportion of shoulder dystocias are with normal sized babies as well so having a big baby does not mean that you are going to have a shoulder dystocia and um, so please don't worry about that because we know that actually um it can happen to all size babies. It's not something specific to big babies. So that's why the idea of inducing for a big baby is quite controversial because we don't have enough evidence to say necessarily that it is doing benefit by getting the baby out earlier. But that said, most obstetricians will do that because we do like to err on the side of caution. So in summary for your question is check that your baby isn't bigger than the 95th centile. If it is, then you should be having a check for diabetes. And even if it isn't bigger than the 95th centile, I suspect they'll want to just do extra scans just to make sure. Um, but it won't make a vaginal birth difficult. And then if you do need to have a cesarean for whatever reason, although big baby doesn't mean cesarean, absolutely doesn't mean it will affect the bonding. So you'll still be able to do skin to skin straight away. And um, so the baby will be born. And um, usually we just make sure that the baby's okay. And then the baby can come straight to you for skin to skin. And um, so it shouldn't affect the bonding at all. I hope that helps Sandesh, but definitely um, if you're not sure, get your midwife to check your scan report. Lena says, is increased watery discharge after physical activity normal at 25 weeks pregnant? Um, so whilst you're pregnant, discharge changes hugely. And I'm sure lots of you will have um, noticed this. So you can get increased discharge. And especially towards the end of pregnancy, it can get quite runny as well. Now, if your discharge is um, quite thick or quite itchy, it might be that you've got a thrush, in which case you can just buy the treatment, the pessary and the cream over the counter. And um, if your discharge is smelly, then it might be that you've got an infection. So pops your GP or your midwife to get that checked over. Um, and then if your discharge is quite watery. Now, as I mentioned, it can be normal to have watery discharge. And also it can be, yeah, after physical activity, it could be that you're a bit sweaty, it could be that um, you kind of dislodge some of the discharge that was in your vagina, but if you're not sure and you think your waters are broken, always just call your maternity unit. But Lena, yes, watery discharge can be normal, um, but if you're having to kind of wear a pad all the time and you're needing to change that pad really, really frequently, then definitely call your maternity unit and just get them to check whether your water's broken. Obviously, it's very unlikely that they'll have broken at 25 weeks. And um, so I suspect that you are just having those nice pregnancy changes to the discharge. But if you're not sure, just get someone to check it. Obviously, really difficult for me to um, know over Zoom. So definitely, if you're not sure. But to me, that does sound quite normal. And um, discharge does get a lot heavier or it can get runnier whilst you're pregnant. Sally says, how do fundal measurements work? You've been measuring small and have been sent for gray scans after every midwife appointment. Once your baby's scanned, it's always a healthy size. 
you've heard similar things with your friends and you want to know how accurate they are. So fundal height measurement is where we measure from the top of your uterus, and that point is called the fundus, all the way down to your pubic bone. And actually, on the whole, fundal height measurements are very accurate. Now, if we're ever not sure about the measurement, we would always do a scan exactly how your midwives have done, so that's absolutely perfect. Um, and actually, when we're measuring your tummy, as I mentioned, we're measuring the size of the uterus, not the baby specifically, but what we're hoping for is consistent growth on a growth chart, which you should be having a specific growth chart made for you. And um, so what we're looking for is nice, constant growth. So it doesn't really tend to matter the size of the baby so much as the growth velocity. So if you had a bigger baby that was growing on a nice curve or a smaller baby that's growing on a nice curve, that's perfect. If you've got a baby that seems to tail off or either, either slow down or get much, much bigger, that would be an indication for a scan. So um, bundle height measurement is actually pretty accurate but obviously scans are way more accurate than the fundal measurements so if we're ever not sure about the um, tummy measurements and um, we would always just refer for a scan and yeah often people will come and have a tummy measurement and it might be not quite what we're expecting in which case we'd always do a scan and um, and I think as, as a midwife I just like to know that everything that I am confident so if there was any ever a doubt in my mind about the measurement my first thing would be let's just do a scan because it's so easy to arrange and um, but yeah on the whole fundal height measurement is is very accurate now and um, for certain people it's not appropriate so if you've got quite large fibroids then again we shouldn't really be doing fundal height measurements obviously twins that's not so helpful to do fundal height measurements and um, or they're, they're the main ones if you've got big fibroids and um, or actually if you've got a raised BMI so if your BMI is over 35 again fundal height measurements not always so accurate so all of those people so if you've got fibroids twins and um, or if you've got a raised BMI you should be having uh, extra growth scans obviously so that we can be more accurate than the tummy measurements and um, but Sally yeah lots of people will have an extra scan and it's just much better to be um be cautious and make sure that we've checked everything. But yeah, on the whole, fundal height measurement is very accurate. Kathy says, you've got heart palpitations during pregnancy and you're in your third trimester. And mm. um, so it can be common to get heart palpitations whilst you're pregnant. However, I would always recommend getting it checked over. And um, so I would make an appointment, I would see your, usually your GP is probably a bit better, but your midwife might be able to help you as well. And um, so for some people, heart palpitations can be normal towards the end of the third trimester, especially on exercise. But yeah, I would just always get that mm. checked out in person. And um, just, I like to be thorough, so I would get that checked out. Um, Sandesh says your baby's big um, but you've not got diabetes do you need to watch your diet um, no if you've not got diabetes then you don't need to change your diet now and um, that's providing that you're eating a healthy diet to start with so in the third trimester the recommendation is to increase your calorie intake by 200 calories which really isn't very much it's about a banana extra so it's really not very much extra and um, so a lot of people do find that they might get hungrier than that, in which case I always advise just eat to your hunger, but you don't need to eat for two. That advice is really old-fashioned. And then similarly, if you're worried that you've got a big baby, please don't start starving yourself. Again, just eat your usual, regular, healthy diet. Obviously, try and have as much, um, lots of fruit and vegetables and lots of fibre and just your usual diet. So um, yeah. actually, yeah. the amount you're eating shouldn't really 
increase the baby to get bigger unless you've got diabetes so Sandesh don't worry about um what you're eating just make sure they're eating a balanced diet Madeline says you are your midwife when you should start counting the kicks and you're 25 weeks pregnant and you shouldn't be counting them at all and you asked what point should you worry about changes in fetal movements you didn't feel any kicks at all yesterday when there's normally a daily passing so you went to your mgu yesterday and they said everything was fine but they should have started coming earlier and um, so just to talk about fetal movements now baby's movements your, your midwife is right you shouldn't be counting a specific number of kicks now with baby's movements what i always say is at the beginning when you first start feeling your baby which is usually anything from usually 16 to 20 24 weeks so it can be quite varied and it's usually quite gentle at the beginning so you feel like little popping in your tummy or butterflies it's really gentle and then obviously that's going to develop into the kicks which you'll recognize and and you're right we shouldn't be counting a specific number of kicks but it's about that overall pattern now that pattern actually is not fully established until the third trimester so if you're if your baby and in terms of pattern what i mean is your baby is usually moving at a similar time every day so if your baby always moves in the morning whilst you're having your breakfast and then it gives you a few kicks during the day but then it has its main movements in the evening that's the pattern or your baby might just be really really wiggly after you've had your lunch and then quite quiet until during the night it doesn't really matter what the pattern is but it's making sure that you know what your baby's pattern is. And, and I would say that if you have been having a pattern and then your pattern stops or changes, always get it checked over. So um, exactly the same as you did there, you went to your assessment unit for a checkup. So I would say that if you've had a pattern, although your pattern, although you're still quite early on to be having a pattern, that's okay, you've had one. So if there's a change to it, get it checked out. Um, so the same again, Keep monitoring your baby's pattern from now onwards. And if you're worried, so if the baby's pattern significantly reduces or the baby's not moving, again, go back to your assessment unit any time of night or day for a checkup. And um, so the original midwife saying about counting the kicks is right. You shouldn't be counting a specific number because for one mum, their baby might move loads and loads and that would be normal for them. And for another mum, their baby might just be quite gentle um, and not move so much. And that's normal for them. So it's all about what's normal for you rather than a set number of kicks. So years ago, we used to say you have to count the specific number. And we know that that's not right because for some people, their babies move a lot more and some people, their babies move a lot less. So if, you're, if you've had a pattern and then your baby changes its pattern, always contact your assessment unit. Rosie says, can I advise some methods to relieve round ligament pain? Well, ligament pain is really painful so I'm really sorry that you've got that Rosie and um, in terms of exercises there is a really good website called fit for pregnancy so if you type that into google and that has been made by the physios women's health physios in the UK to give you some stretches which will help with pregnancy super difficult to do it on the screen because I'm against a wall so I'll knock all my laptop over but if you go on fit for pregnancy that's got some absolutely fantastic exercises which should be able to help with the round ligament pain pelvic girdle pain back pain so check that one out Hamdi says can you do a tour of the birthing unit during your during coronavirus um, and 
also you're asking about gestational diabetes and having your labour at the birth centre. And um, so I know that at my hospital we're not doing tours of the unit because of coronavirus and that's just because we need to really limit the amount of traffic to the maternity unit. Um, and then with gestational diabetes, um, so usually the advice is to have your baby on the labelled or the obstetric unit so we can monitor your baby. However, you would need to check with your midwife because um, some units, if you have diet controlled diabetes and you've not been induced, so you've gone into labour by yourself and you've only got diet controlled. So if you're using metformin or insulin, this is not appropriate. And um, so diet controlled diabetes, then potentially you could ask to go to the birth centre. And um, so check with your um, diabetes team and see what their recommendation is. So it is usually labour ward. However, diet controlled with a normal sized baby and everything going fine so far, potentially you might be able to use the birthing centre or the low risk centre. It really depends on your unit. So my unit's quite lenient. Um, so we would let, yeah, diet controlled with normal size baby, everything going well, go to the birth centre, whereas other units are much stricter. So just check how your unit is. Um, Maureen says, what's colostrum harvesting? So that is at the end of the pregnancy, you're trying to um, collect colostrum to use once the baby's born. And um, so I did quickly showed you at the beginning, but hand in a C shape, two to three centimeters back from the nipple and gently squeeze. Um, and that's how you're gonna stimulate the breast. And then you're gonna move your hands round um, to just stimulate as much as possible and collect it in little syringes, which you can either ask your midwife to give you, or you can buy online. They're called enteral syringes. Um, and they're usually purple, which means that you can feed the baby from those syringes. Um, and the idea is to collect as much milk as you can before the baby's here. And Regan says, when the second stage of labour starts, what's the balance between pushing and, and breathing and what should you expect and how messy is birth? And you're hoping to do a home birth and you wonder what to expect. So in the second stage of labour, um, the best thing to do is just follow your urges to push. So if you have not got an epidural on board, this is really obvious. So your body will be telling you when to push um, and you will just go with those urges to bear down. Now, when the baby starts to crown, which is as the head's coming out, your midwife will be really um, wanting you to concentrate on her so that she can help you breathe the head out nice and slowly. Um, so there will be some pushing, obviously, to get the baby nice and far down the birth canal and then just as the baby's head is crowning we get you to blow so i always say you're blowing out the candles on your baby's birthday cake so just really gently blowing so your midwife is going to be telling you when to do that and um, so yep there'll be a lot of pushing so your your body will be telling you to push so you're just going to go with that urge and then when your midwife wants you to stop she's going to tell you to stop and she's going to guide you with exactly what to do um, and then how messy is birth so um yeah, birth is a little bit messy, but also midwives are really good at cleaning everything up. So um, during the labour, you know, for example, if you opened your bowels, we're going to clear that away straight away. Um, giving birth, there is going to be waters and there is going to be blood. But again, we're really good at tidying that up. We, we want everything to kind of be nice and clean and fresh for you. So we'll, we will tidy up. Um, and then in terms of a home birth, I would get some, you can get the super cheap plastic and um, shower curtains, because again, they're kind of waterproof, aren't they? And then you can just fold them up and throw them in the bin afterwards. But your midwife, if you're planning a home birth, your midwife will um, tell you what things that they need and what things that they supply. Um, but yeah, birth is a little bit messy but also very easy to clean up and midwives very good at tidying up after ourselves. So please don't let that put you off. 
Charlotte says you're 34 weeks, you're due for an induction, but your midwife suggested to trying to bring on the ba early labour, but you've now found out the baby is breached. Is this safe to do? Um, that's a bit of a difficult one to answer online just because I'm not sure why you're having induction at 34 weeks. Um, obviously, we don't consider the baby term until 37 weeks. Um, and again, are you planning on having a breech birth? Because if you're not, then don't do anything to try and get yourself into labour. If you're planning on having an elective caesarean, um, then yeah, don't try any induction methods. Um, so sorry, Charlotte, that's a bit of a difficult one to answer. Um, but I would get in contact with your midwife because if your baby's breached, they might be able to turn the baby. And um, again, there's a lot that I can't, yeah, I don't have the whole history here, so I can't quite answer that one. So sorry about that, Charlotte, but check with your midwife. Um, Sally says you're 35 weeks and you don't have back pain in the day but when you wake up in the morning your back is agony you're sleeping on your side as that's recommended is anything that you can do yeah so um, sleeping on your side obviously is recommended in the third trimester because we don't want you laying flat on your back because that presses your big blood vessels and I know that it can be so painful on your hips and your back when you're sleeping on your side so although we say left-sided sleeping actually if it's really painful just sleep on your right side as well and um, as long as you're not flat on your back that's fine um, and then yeah as many cushions as you can to prop yourself up now the reason that you're sore in the morning um is because you've been yeah sleeping in not a great position overnight or you've been quite stiff overnight or you're obviously not moving so much and um, so if you've got a pregnancy um pillow or any pillows put them in between your knees and your feet just to keep them in line with your hips um, and then try yeah I would just say try and give you give yourself as much support with the pillows as possible um, and then just try and alternate the sides if that's particularly painful because although we do say the left side is best it is but it's not the end of the world if you sleep on your right just please don't sleep on your back Kat says you're taking clexane and aspirin for blood clotting issues is there a point when the risk of the problem decreases you're 15 weeks also at risk of reduced blood flow to baby is there anything that you can do to help and um, so clexane and aspirin as you said are both blood thinning agents and um, so I'm not sure the reason that you've been recommended to take those but usually if you're on them from 15 weeks you'll be taking them the whole way through the pregnancy and then either you stop them when you go into labor or if you know you're having an induction or cesarean you stop them the day before um, and actually in terms of the blood flow to the baby the clexane and the aspirin are quite good for that as well and um, but there's nothing that you can do to um help with blood flow to the baby other than exactly what you're doing so please don't worry about that and yes you i'm imagining you'll be taking those throughout the pregnancy uh, Kathy says, do I have any suggestions for heartburn? Is Gaviscon okay? Yep, Gaviscon and Rennie's both fine for pregnancy. You can buy those over the counter. Other things to help with heartburn are um, eating little meals, little and often, so don't eat really big meals. Try and avoid fatty foods and spicy foods because they can um, give you really bad heartburn. And then um, some, a lot of people will find it quite worse at night and again if the flatter you are the worse the heartburn is going to be because you get that reflux so just try and prop yourself up if you're finding it really painful at night with the heartburn um lizzie says how long after an epidural or spinal can you expect to feel numb for and um, so a spinal is a one-off injection and you'll usually feel numb for about four to six hours and um, obviously it's going to be the most numb at the beginning and then it's going to wear off with an epidural it's slightly different because you top yourself up or your your dosage is, is given as you go along and um, so 
depends how much you've pressed it essentially so if you've given yourself a really really heavy block by pressing your epidural loads then you're going to be number for a lot longer whereas some people will have a really light epidural where they don't have much drugs administered in which case you're numb for not as long and um, so epidural is usually four six and um, sorry spinal is usually four to six hours and then epidural is obviously as much as you use um, Natasha says, how effective is the TENS machine for pain reduction? I love TENS machines. I think they're absolutely brilliant um, and they work best the sooner that you put them on. So there's no point putting it on if you've been having contractions for six to eight hours and you're in loads of pain because it's too late by then. You need to put it on when you start getting those kind of back pain, period pain, all those contractions just first start, but they're absolutely brilliant. And then Regan underneath has put, what is a TENS machine? So it's a trans, um, it's a trans, it's a, Transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation is what it stands for and essentially it's a little machine with four pads that you put on your back and it sends little electric impulses down your back and then when you're getting a contraction you press boost and it kind of gives extra boost of stimulation um, and they're really good pain relief and you buy them or rent them or you can borrow them from your friends and just make sure that you buy obviously fresh pads, the sticky pads for your back um, but I love a TENS machine, I think they're brilliant. Um, you've been harvesting, you've been trying colostrum harvesting, but you're not having much success. Um, if it doesn't work for the induction, are you at risk of not being able to breastfeed? No. Um, and does it mean the baby will have to be formula fed if you don't have colostrum? No, absolutely not. So even if you're not getting colostrum before the baby's here, that's fine because actually the placenta suppresses that. So once your placenta's delivered, it sends a message to your brain to start making the milk. So technically, whilst the placenta's still there, we're not really expecting you to get too much milk although obviously some people do and it doesn't mean just because you haven't got colostrum now that you're not going to have colostrum when the baby's here as I said as soon as that placenta's out your body tells your brain to make the breast milk um, and if you don't have colostrum when the baby's here again your baby to, to depend hopefully if you've got a well if your baby's well and they're term then actually the baby really doesn't need very much in the first 24 hours anyway and um, so really they can get by with mere droplets obviously we'd love them to have more than that if possible and um, but if you're if you're struggling with the breastfeeding we won't let your baby go hungry so please don't worry about that um, Sally says you live between two hospitals and you've had to choose one for your maternity care um, the hospital you're currently in only let partners in for established labour and they have to leave two hours after birth and they're not allowed to visit afterwards um, but they're planning on changing these regulations oh they're not changing these regulations before you give birth um, you've got anxiety and you're really concerned about being on the postnatal without your husband what are my thoughts on changing hospital with five weeks ago um, I think that if it's going to help you to change hospital then go for it um, so it's super easy to transfer your care pretty much all hospitals you can self-refer so you just go onto the website and refer yourself and um, Bear in mind though that not all hospitals accept late transfers of care, so it might not be possible for the other hospital to accept you. Um, in which case, you could, um, if you're under like a mental health team, they might be able to um, make a plan for like extenuating circumstances. So I know that for us, we have women who, you know, have exceptional circumstances, which means that they need their partner there. Um, so I would ask your midwife or email the director or head of midwifery to see if they might be able to help you. Um, but yeah, it's super easy to transfer care if you want to. And if that's going to help you, then yeah, go for it. Jade is how effective is having a sweep and could this um, affect labour? If you, Will it make you need further interventions? Um, so with membrane sweeps, 
They are all cervical sweeps and they're more effective if your body's already ready to go into labour. So if your cervix is really closed and not what we'd call very favourable or not very ripe, which basically means not ready, then they don't tend to work so well. Whereas if your cervix is already starting to open and do some of the early labour changes, then they're much more effective. Now, in terms of evidence, um, there was a Cochrane review fairly recently, um, which said that they are good similarly but only if your body's ready um, and in terms of research there's just been so many varied studies looking at different gestations and things like that now and um, obviously you can't really compare doing sweeps at 37 weeks and sweeps at 42 weeks because they're just so vastly different so the research is a little bit patchy um, but if your body's already ready then they tend to work better. Um, and they don't put you at any increased risk of needing further interventions. So we actually don't consider them um, a method of induction as such. So um, although we do use them to help with labor, if you were coming for a formal induction, we wouldn't do a sweep on its own to try and get you into labor. We would obviously try something a bit more heavy handed. Um, so yeah, it doesn't put you at risk of needing any further intervention um, and they work best if you're already ready to go into labor. Obviously we don't usually know if you're ready until we do a sweep. So it is a bit of a catch 22. Um, and also if you start having a sweep and you don't like it, you can always ask your midwife to stop. It's not a big deal. Harissa says, does your hospital bag need to include a wash bottle, disposable underwear and witch hazel, witch hazel pad? Um, a wash bottle, do you mean, I'm not sure what you mean by wash bottle, sorry, maybe I'm being not very intelligent about that, a wash bottle. Um, do you mean like just wash, like wash items like shower gel and shampoo, in which case, yeah, bring all of those things. Disposable underwear, yeah, or just buy... Um, the netty knickers, I just think for the same price, you could go to Primark and buy, you know, a really cheap pack of five, um, like nice cotton ones, which will be just as good. I think they tend to be a bit more comfy than the disposable ones personally, but yeah, disposable ones are fine. Um, witch hazel, no, we don't recommend using witch hazel. Don't, um, I wouldn't put any witch hazel on any, on your pads or any wounds or anything like that. No, you don't need to bring that. Lizzie says, do breastfeeding newborns need to take vitamin D drops from birth? Yes, they do. Um, I mean, it's not the sort of thing that you'll need to bring to the hospital with you. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Usually once the breastfeeding is established when you're at home, the health visitor comes and goes through all of that with you. Um, so that's usually around 10 days to two weeks after birth. Um, you kind of need to focus on the breastfeeding first. But yeah, um, you can give your baby vitamin D drops. And also you'll need to take vitamin D yourself as well. Hannah says, should you be colostrum harvesting at 35 weeks? And what would be the consequences if you don't? Um, Hannah, it's probably a little bit early at 35 weeks to colostrum harvest. Um, I tend to say from 37 weeks is fine. Obviously, your term at 37 weeks. Some people will say 36 weeks, and that's fine. Um, 30, 36, 37 weeks is fine to start colostrum harvesting, but you don't have to do it. So it's not something that you need to do, but I quite like it just because it can help ripen your cervix and get you ready to range labour. And also it's just so handy to have the milk, but your body is perfectly equipped to go into labour without doing that and also to make milk without doing the colostrum harvesting. So if you don't want to do it or you're not able to do it, that's absolutely fine. 
Um, Lizzie says, how common is it to have a partially retained placenta after birth? Um, so not very common at all, actually, Lizzie, although I did have that and it was really annoying. Um, it, it's not very common at all, but if you do have a retained placenta after birth, then usually we, um, if we, if we realise that it's retained, then we'll try and take, take it out, obviously, straight away. So you should go to theatre for that, but it's really not very common. Um, however, if it has happened to you before, then you are at an increased risk of it happening again. Um, but usually if we know that you've had one before, we, sort of, we, give you, we would recommend giving you some drugs after the baby's born to try and um, clamp down the uterus and expel the placenta. Um, yeah, but it's really not very common for that to happen. So I hope it doesn't happen to you. I had it and it was horrible. Um, but it is quite easily rectified, so please don't panic. Maureen said, you've heard that walking helps induce labour. Um, does it have to be quite fast or can normal walks? No, it doesn't have to be fast at all. So just a normal walk, a nice brisk walk. Um, sitting on your ball with your legs really wide open can be helpful. Um, going up and down the stairs sideways like a crab as well. There are really useful things that you can do. But no, it doesn't have to be a fast walk. You don't need to get yourself out of breath. Just a nice, just a, a nice kind of gentle walk is fine. Why do feet swell after pregnancy and how long does this typically last? Um, so that's a really good question, Lizzie. And when you're pregnant, you have 50% extra blood. So that's quite a few litres of extra blood. Um, and once the baby's born, you're going to lose some blood at the time. And then the rest of the blood you don't need anymore. So what your body does is changes it into kind of fluid and then it just goes to your feet and so most people will actually be more swollen in the week or so after they've given birth than they were before when they were pregnant and it's so normal so um, and it's just your body getting rid of this blood and essentially you're just going to pee it all out but in the meantime it just sits in your feet and your hands and you're nice and swollen and so it does usually go down after a week or two and the best things that you can do is lots of water to help flush it out um, and try and walk as well walking can be really helpful for the swelling but that was a really good question Lizzie. Um, Annette you're 37 weeks yesterday and you wake up with swollen hands and feet and you had a pain in your hand joints should you call your midwife and um, so with swelling it is really normal in pregnancy to be swollen especially in your hands and feet now the swelling that we get worried about is when you're really centrally swollen and by that I mean like your face is very swollen you're very puffy in your chest area and um, obviously you could be if you had your hands and feet as well that it's really the central swelling. Hands and feet is quite common, but obviously if you had all of that, then I would call your midwife. And um, the pain in your hand joints is probably linked to the swelling and it's probably something called carpal tunnel syndrome. And that's when the swelling means that you get pressure in your joints and, and so you get pain. And the things that you can do for that is um, try and keep your hands as active as possible. And so for example, if you're getting up in the middle of the night to go for pee, make sure you're moving your hands loads because most people find that by first thing in the morning, that's when the carpal tunnel syndrome is the worst. Um, so, and so if you've got really swollen centrally, call your midwife. So like face and really kind of puffy all around here, call your midwife, but just hands and feet swollen. Um, especially with the weather being quite changeable and humid at the moment, that's quite common. Amelia, um, what usually happens when you arrive at the birthing centre? Do you have to wait in the waiting room or do they take you into a, as, into a separate room? Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It is really different for each hospital. Now, personally, at my hospital, we've got two birthing areas. So we've got the birth centre, which is the low-risk area, or we've got the labour ward, which is the... Um, high risk area so in our birthing center you just go straight into a little assessment room and then you go into your labor room and um, and then for the obstetric unit the high risk area you do go to a 
waiting area. That said, and this is just specifically for my hospital, um, obviously we prioritise people in terms of need. So um, if labouring women are kind of usually high up there on the priority list, now unless there was someone seriously unwell, in which case they would take priority over someone in labour. But um, usually we try and avoid people in labour being in the waiting area just because we know that that's not very nice for you to be kind of so exposed. So um, check with your midwife, but I would say that usually we try not to keep you waiting because we don't want you to feel yeah, really exposed in the waiting area. Um, Lizzie says, how big is the risk of meconium in the waters when they break? Meconium, so that's when the baby does a poo in the waters. Um, it's not huge, it's not hugely common. Now, babies that are very overdue, it is slightly more common to have waters breaking and the um, sorry, poo in the waters. And the way that you would know that is if the waters were green. Um, so if your water's breaking, they're green, you must phone your midwife or your maternity unit straight away. Um, but overall, the risk is quite small. However, it can signify that the baby is in distress. So that's why we always want to keep a really close eye on people if their waters have gone and the baby's done a poo. And Parisa says, have water birth been banned due to coronavirus? You heard in Scotland they're not allowed. What do I expect here in England? And I'm actually not sure about the rules in Scotland, but I know in England it's just um, hospital to hospital. So we've had, um, we never stopped doing water births at my hospital, but I have, I know that hospitals down the road did stop doing them. Um, but the, in terms of the advice from the Royal College of Obstetricians, it says that unless you've got confirmed coronavirus, then it is safe for you to use the pool at the moment. And um, so if you've, if you've got confirmed coronavirus, then you won't be advised to use a pool, but otherwise it's fine. And um, so just check with your hospital because it's, um, the advice is that you can use them. Regan says that you are 19 weeks and you're getting unusual sensations in your lower left back. Doesn't hurt, but you're wondering if it would develop into back spasms. Um, is there any way of preventing this? You're fit and active and you do yoga and walking. Well, that's really good that you're nice and active and you do yoga and things. Um, in terms of the back pain, again, it's quite difficult to kind of assess just from your little message. But um, if... It might just be the position of the baby at the moment, in which case hopefully it will move. Um, again, I, in terms of like lower back pain, just because obviously I'm not chatting to you personally, but um, it could be a urine infection. So if you're getting kind of back pain, that's quite painful. Um, and you're worried that you've got a urine infection, go to your GP or, or see your midwife. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like back spasms, again, they're usually just caused by kind of, if that's something that you're used to getting, then obviously pregnancy is going to exacerbate it. But just, um, I would just say continue with your pregnancy yoga and try and do stretches, go on the Fit for Pregnancy website, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and the unusual sensations, rather than pain, it could just be the stretching of your uterus as well, because your baby is obviously growing quite a lot at the moment and some people feel they're stretching in their back rather than their tummy um, but if you're I would say just keep doing your keep being active and fit and do your yoga and walking and then also check out the fit for pregnancy website Jess says you're 36 weeks with twins or oh, congratulations you've had carpal tunnel syndrome for several weeks worse at night is there anything other than hand exercises and does it usually go after birth and um, so other than the hand exercises what I would say is you need to sleep with your hands on pillows you need to keep them elevated and um, so you really need to you're going to have pillows everywhere in your bed but you must keep them elevated because what you're trying to do is um 
drain a little bit of the fluid out which is causing the pressure but also the hand exercises you must must keep them and then it's always worse at night because you're not using your hands so much so as I said before when you're getting up to go to the loo which I'm sure you will be lots because you're 36 weeks with twins every time you get up you have to move your hands because then you're going to get that fluid moving again and yes it does go after birth and um, a bit like the swelling it can sometimes get a little bit worse so you're going to get worse carpal tunnel syndrome and then once all that fluid's gone it will go and you'll feel much much better but yes carpal tunnel syndrome does go after birth um parisa says in america they call it a peri peri bottle well, i'm not sure what that is is that um no i'm really i really don't know what that is not heard of that at all is that um is that related to the um the wash bottle yeah, I think so. Is that um, is that something to like wash your perineum with afterwards? That's the only thing I can think of. Oh, yeah, yeah that's it. Oh, okay. Um, I've never heard of that specifically, but what I think you're trying to say is, um, so what some people will do, no douching, by the way, do not douche after you've given birth. Um, some people will pour warm water on themselves, which I'm assuming this bottle is trying to do. Um, so if you've had stitches, some people will pour warm water on themselves whilst they're peeing because pee can be a little bit stingy on your stitches. Um, so if, and so I'm assuming this is the same thing, if not, please correct me. Um, but no, you don't need any fancy bottle or anything like that. Um, just like a cup would do, um, just to pour warm water on yourself whilst you pee, if it's stinging whilst you're peeing because you've had stitches. It, not everyone will sting. I mean, if you've had a lot of stitches on your labia, they're quite stingy when you're peeing. Um, so you just, yeah, I would pour the warm water then. But again, you, yeah, you don't need to buy anything fancy, just, um, just a cup would do. Um, Gemma says, you're... 16 weeks and you've been getting a sharp pelvic pain on your left hand side for the last 24 hours you can't feel it when you're sat down but it hurts when you bear weight on your left leg could this be linked to constipation or could it be something more serious and um, i mean Gemma, if you're constipated then that definitely could be the cause so in which case lots and lots of water lactulose you can buy that over the counter that is a stool softener so it's not going to give you diarrhea or anything like that it's just going to make your stools a lot um, easier to pass and um, or it could be 16 weeks your baby's sort of just coming out of the pelvis in the last couple of weeks um, in which case there's kind of loads of stretching in your in your tummy and um, in which case that could be that and um, if it's quite severe i just think always get it checked out and um, and then you're saying you're not feeling when you sat down but it hurts when you bear weight again that might be a bit of sciatica even if it's if it's when you're if it's on one leg and it's kind of shooting down um which again sciatica is really really painful and um, again go on the fit for pregnancy website they'll give you some nice exercises but Gemma if you're worried and it's really severe just get it checked out um Hannah says thank you oh you're more than welcome and then I think the next question is Natasha are there any side effects of using a TENS machine um no not really so um they are quite strong so just play with it when you are at home so I know a lady who her husband she her husband was pressing it and they turned it up to full volume and um, full kind of strength and it gave her a bit of a shock it's not going to harm you in any way but obviously it's just quite um quite tingly and quite kind of strong so there's no kind of adverse effects to you or the baby now not everyone um 
obviously don't use it in the bath but um no yeah there's no adverse effects to you and the baby um oh and i think everyone else is just saying thank you so um, does anyone else have any other questions i think i rocketed through those at one point i looked down and there was like 30 to go and i was like oh goodness got to get my skates on i mean no there that's a lot of questions i've just typed up nearly three thousand words so thank you everyone that's fantastic and lots of interesting questions it's always amazing how you think you're going to have the same questions and we do have some but we, there are new questions that come through each session so no, definitely definitely. Doing it. hardly any repeats today was there so yeah. everyone um yeah really really lovely to chat to everyone um oh well i think i think that is all the questions anyone got any last minute questions before we go i think so for you're on again um i think next week isn't it i think uh, um, no i thought that was uh i thought everything that's marie next week i don't know you can speak if it is me I, I maybe it's not but no we're going to be recording some more with you for the podcast in July so they'll be out in July um yeah and then like lots more to go through I think for autumn when we get new people coming on yeah fantastic thank you Sophie have a lovely evening lovely to chat to you all um, and I'll speak to you all again soon thanks Sophie bye, bye. Thanks for listening and for more information on the next class, please visit our website or email us helpingmums at moki.eu. Thank you.